0: I believe we are living in amazing times and some people have often thought of it as the uh, the preface to the the story the tale of two cities it was the best of times and it was the worst of times and so i'm looking at what side of the times you want to see because the God I serve is up to something good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I just want to share with you a bit of the journey that we've been on and, um, and hopefully it'll speak to you as well. Would you go with me please to the book of, how do you pronounce it? Isaiah? Isaiah? Isaiah, okay. All right. I just want to fit in. <laughs> I was in uh, South Africa and the guy said, turn to the book of Genesis. So I was. Uh, <laughs> so here we are. I'm in, I's, I'm in Isaiah. Uh, once in a while, I don't know if you ever had, uh, today we don't have, uh, you don't have paper Bibles. You know, you remember when you're reading a passage and you're just going through it and going through it. And. Um, And then later on, there was something that spoke to you, and you can't remember where, what verse, but you say it was on this side of the page. And so you go to that side of the page, and you keep flipping until you say, ah, here it is. But uh, some some verses and, and some translations speak to you out of different translations, and God has some amazing things to say. One of the translations that I'm enjoying right now is called the Passion Translation. And it is such a wonderful, wonderful expression of what um, one guy who loves God is able to see in the same scriptures. Sometimes in life, certain things happen to you and you need to mark those moments in life when it happens, you mark the time and it becomes for you a significant memorial. I like to read the Bible anywhere everywhere. And uh, there is no place that is not a sacred place or an unsacred place. You can read the Bible anywhere. And uh, I like to read the Bible when I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) And that's one of the places where I read it regularly (laughs) because it's always there. And uh, and it's hard to get people to disturb you there. Just shut the door and just say, you don't want to come in here. (laughs) And there was a particular occasion in my life when I was reading through the New International Version of the Scriptures. It's not always my favorite one, but this particular day, it was as though God just spoke to something to us. My wife and I, we, we are the parents of seven children. We have uh, 13 grandchildren and four great-grands. We had two of our boys at the time, and this would be years ago when they were both in high school, and one of them was going through some changes and People like to say things like, "Oh, how are your kids doing?" and they would say well they 're working on their testimony <laughs> but in, but in my case, they were working on my testimony and so uh, we had this one son who somehow had had thought he had an affinity with marijuana, and so It was doing things for his personality, and we couldn't figure it all out. And uh, I had a dream. And in the dream, he was standing in my bedroom doorway, and he had this angry look on his face. And he began to scream at me in the dream, beat me, beat me, go ahead and beat me. And so my wife and I, we discuss our dreams, and we pay attention to them because dreams play a significant part in the purpose of God. And if you don't believe that, that's your problem. (laughs) Can you imagine somebody coming home and saying, I've got good news for you and good news. And what's the good news? Well, I'm pregnant. Yeah, but we're not married yet. Yeah, but the other part of the good news is that God's the father. (laughs) Now, you, you relate well to it because you've been reading it for years and you call it the Christmas story. Just didn't call it the Christmas story. So good news that came to us that day was in that dream. This guy standing in the doorway, and he's saying, beat me. Uh, He came home from his graduation, his high school graduation, and that afternoon he said, Dad, I'd like to go to the graduation party. A lot of my friends are going to be there. And I said, sure. What time does it start? He says, about 11 tonight. And I said, 11? It starts at 11? And he said, yes. I said, uh, no good party starts at 11 at night," he said. "But Dad, everybody's gonna be there," and I said, "Not everybody." <laughs> and that's when the fight started. And and in the middle of holding on to him to keep him from hurting me, uh, I heard him say these words: "Beat me, beat me, go ahead and beat me." Now prior to that. I was dealing with a number of things. And so I'm reading the scriptures. And what I love about the scriptures is that they speak to you. They say things to you. It's almost as though they have your name. We have, uh, in America, we have what they call uh, rednecks. I don't know what you call them here. <laughs> but uh, they're, not, they're, they're not retarded. They're just... They're, <laughs> They're just not altogether there, you know what I'm saying? And like they say, some of my best friends are rednecks. But um, they they were discussing what were the two most powerful store inventions in history. And one guy said, "Well, I think it's the uh, television." He said, "He said I agree with you. That's a pretty good invention." He said, "But I think it's the thermos bottle." He said, "How?" He says, "Well, you put hot things in it and they stay hot. You put cold things in and they stay cold." He said, so what? He said, but how do it know? <laughs> so sometimes when I'm reading this Bible, it says things to me. And I'm asking the question, how do it know? Because the Holy Spirit, who breathed on the scriptures, is also hovering over the scriptures and giving life to them as you read the life that's there. It's God breathed. And so, I'm focusing on these passages of scriptures, and I have to tell you this little story so that it can fit in somewhere in the message, and you'll have to fit it in, all right? I'm not going to try to do that for you, but you're an amazing group of people. I've seen you worship and uh, seen you offer opportunities for people to receive God, so I, I trust that there is a measure of astuteness that you are experiencing and enjoying in this house. So the story. She awakened and her husband of 44 years wasn't breathing. He had been a mean guy and so she was relieved. She called the undertaker, he came. They determined that he really wasn't breathing and he was dead. And so they put him in a box and as they were carrying him down the stairs, one of the guys bumped up against a sharp corner and they heard a groan from inside the box and they realized he wasn't dead. Four years later, she awakened again. And uh, same thing. And so she called the undertaker, and he came, and they, they were carrying him down the stairs. And as they were carrying him down the stairs, she said to them, watch the corners. <laughs> so this, <laughs> this story has corners, all right? So I'm just simply saying, watch the corners. I'm in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear-Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct, of the upper pool, on the road to the washerman's field, say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Would you repeat those words after me? Be careful. Keep calm. Now here's a problem that I have right now. Only five of you are saying it. And I've, I've conditioned my ear to determine whether or not I'm getting a half of a response from a congregation or, so let's all do it together this time, all right? And if the person next to you isn't just hunch them sharply, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Say it again, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Now tell the person next to you, watch the corners. He says, because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. That became the message for me because the two smoldering stubs of firewood in my life were my two sons, two of my two sons, two of my three sons, actually. But they were the ones who were having some problems. The fierce anger of Rezin and Aram. He says, they have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. You ever get the feeling, I don't know if you've been married long enough to have kids who you think have plotted your ruin. (laughs) But it's like they planned it, listen, what's he gonna do, what's he gonna do? he says, let us invade Judah. Let's tear it apart and divide it among ourselves. Make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is the only resin within 65 years. Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people The head of Ephraim is Samaria And the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son And it was at this Point And I don't know if you ever had that feeling that, that Words in the Bible just kind of Just looked up off the page And you see them and you can't Ignore them and you can't avoid them And here were these words If you do not stand firm In your faith You will not stand at all Sometimes God will give you a choice, but even then it won't be much. That means that went over your head, all right? I'm saying God will give you a choice, but sometimes even the choice he gives you won't be that much. And it's walking with him that you discover certain kinds of things in your life where God, is, he wants something from you. And you want to give it to him, but you think he's asking a little bit too much. And you say, but God, I said, God, what am I going to do? He says, I need you to do this. And I said, well, can I pray about it? And he says, well, who are you going to pray to? And I said, good question. I said, I said, can I do a three-day fast? He says, uh, one day, my wife and I had, had what I call intense fellowship. We never argue, but the fellowship can get really intense. <laughs> And back in those days when it got real intense and I couldn't handle it because she can always outthink, outremember, outsmart. It's like my stuff is in RAM and hers is on hard drives. And um, so I'm thinking through this. And so I'll say, well, what about, and she'll say, well, when you, what? I said, you give me a time. And she'll say, all right, you remember July 7th, you had that red hat sitting on your head and you were dressed in that raggedy shirt you had on. And I'm, and I'm thinking, how can you fight that, see? And so I'm, I'm dealing with all of this. I thinking, God, oh, God. So I didn't want to talk to her, and I went on a fast. Three-day fast, shut myself in, and, um, and, um, and the Lord told me, he says, now, when you go out, apologize to your wife. I said, God, I'll give you three more days of fasting. If I know <laughs> so I came out, and she greeted me. She says, how was that? I said, it was wonderful. God spoke to me. She said, what did he say? And I told her a couple of things that he said to me. She said, well, did he say anything else? And I told her a couple of other things. She says, is that all he said? <laughs> and I said, well, he told me I need to apologize. She said, he told me he's going to tell you that. And I just, <laughs> He's not fair. He's just, but he's not fair so i'm walking through this season along with her and she's she's understanding this and so when my son screamed at me beat me beat me go ahead and beat me she said to me that's your dream let him go and so i did i let him go he ran away spent some time other places and in that moment in my life i i was a part of a movement that put a lot of emphasis on if you can't manage your children how can you manage the house of god And so i felt like my reputation is under attack it's by under attack by my own kids who are trying to destroy my praise life they're trying to destroy a whole lot of other things that are going on and here's the lord saying to me what you are afraid of isn't going to happen what you are imagining isn't going to take place he says it's not going to take place and the problem is that you're looking at something and God is telling you something about the something you're looking at and you're telling him, I don't see how that's going to work at all, God. I mean, it's just, that's confusing to me. And he says, no, 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 it's not going to happen say that. It's not going to happen. Now, what, what the enemy was unwilling to let me see is that later on, that same young man would call us one day and said, my girlfriend, I've given up drugs. We're going to get married. He didn't let me see that he became an elder in our church, a prophet in our house. I couldn't see any of that. All I could see was this guy is driving me nuts. And I'd like to kill him and tell God he died. But it took a while to walk through that. And it was when I came to that phrase, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So here's the title to the message. God's got this. God's got this. Would you say that? God's. Now, that's the subtitle. The title is Cognitive dissonance and suspended skepticism. (laughs) Why is it that God will say things to you that you cannot obviously authenticate because it's somewhere out there? He's telling you, and what God tells you in your moment it's not something that's going to happen, it's something that He has determined has already happened. And so my faith requires me to agree with God, whether my flesh and everything else says, I just can't see how it's going to work. And so you're struggling with it and you're bound by your struggle. And here's the problem, uh, the mind requires Order it wants things to work together. I made some notes about this business of cognitive dissonance but one of the things that I found out is that Suspended skepticism is a lot like faith You say well, what is suspended skepticism well here? Lois Lane heard Superman say, don't worry, Mrs. Lane, Miss Lane, I've got you. Lois said, yeah, but who's got you? Because he had flown up in the skyscraper where she was hanging out, and he says, I've got you. The problem is that you can't enjoy Superman movies if you can't suspend your skepticism. You can't enjoy any movie if you don't suspend your skepticism. Because cars don't fly, whales don't talk, girls don't ride whales down into the water. (laughs) One of my favorite movies is Whale Rider. I love Whale Rider, but I mean, you're sitting next to a guy in the movie and you say, Oh, that doesn't happen. Ants can't talk. There's no such thing as a balloon that goes all over to Brazil. No, 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 no. And you're sitting there and you can't enjoy the movie because they keep they keep kicking it apart. And you say, look, either you shut up and watch this movie with me or you get out of my house. And so they say, if we feel that way about it, all right. And so you struggle to do that. God wants you to have a picture of the future that is an incredible picture of the future that says what you are looking at right now is not going to happen. The enemy wants to put a picture in your mind and say to you, it's downhill all the way. And you lean no and God, what can I do about it? And he says, watch the corners, son. Just keep watching the corners. Because if you wake it up, it'll live with you for four more years. Is this making sense yet? Because when I'm walking through something, I'm trying to figure it out. And the problem with imagination, imagination can create a picture. And I heard, I heard a brother say concerning testimony, one of my young men says, he says, testimony creates faith for the future. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So when I hear someone say, God healed me, it's a statement to me that God can heal you too. God brought my family together, then God can bring my family together. I got a shoulder that's out of joint, and God healed that. God can do that for us. So when I read these stories in the Bible that Paul tells us in Romans 15, they were written for our instruction upon whom the ages have come that from the experience of the scriptures I can have hope and I can read the story and I say well if God did it for him he could do it for me and that's what God is seeking to say to us we I hear people say God's trying to tell you something I say, God doesn't try to do anything okay maybe you missed that too God's, God is trying to tell you something God that's trying to tell you something. No, God is not trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell you something, and you're trying to hear. He's telling you something, and you're trying to figure out, can this be real? (laughs) I was having some challenges, and something happened, and it went amiss, and I told my wife, I said, I said, my mind told me that this wasn't going to work out. She says, no, God told you it wasn't going to work out, but your mind said it would. You're always in conflict with your mind. And it's when God says something to you that is so contrary to your circumstances that here's the thing. I heard one young man say it. He said, fearing and looking at difficulties that aren't going to happen is a terrible waste of imagination.'" Why imagine disaster when you can imagine victory? Yeah. Particularly if God is saying to you, here's the victory. See, here's cognitive dissonance. You're looking at an army of people who have surrounded the whole city, not just your little, your little church or your little building, the whole city. And you wake up your master the prophet and you say to him we are in serious trouble he says no we can't be he says yeah come on out and look and he comes out and he looks and he sees this army surrounding them and then he makes this statement that challenges the servant's cognitive dissonance and he says don't be afraid actually he says fear not everybody say fear not I don't know if you've experienced this, but every time you find the phrase fear not in the Bible, it's already too late. Okay. Fear not. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he looks at him, and he's got this, looking at a new gate, look on his face. How can you say that? Don't you see how many? He says, yes. He says, but the ones who are with us are more than those who are with them. He still can't see it. And so the prophet says, God opened his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he sees those that are surrounding them, but he sees others who are surrounding them. Because this is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Do you guys sing that song? Yeah. You didn't act like it. I mean, most, when I start that in other churches, I mean, it just... You can't finish the whole phrase. Was it something I said? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, some people walk out while you're preaching. Others, I mean, just one person. But when you see a whole group go, that's like... Man, it must be over and I didn't know it. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Is anybody singing? I, I'm there. I'm, 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 OK. They're, they're there. OK. You're there. Okay, just try it. I know you can sing, because I heard you. My wife said you're worshipers, but now I'm challenged (laughs) to actually believe that. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I... Okay, no, 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 no. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Because I'm just not convinced. See, I think cognitive dissonance is hitting this thing right here. It may look like I'm surrounded. That's the dissonant part. The suspended skepticism is this, but I'm surrounded by God. I'm, in fact, What he has said to me, if I don't stand firm in my faith, I won't stand at all. And here's how faith works. It's very simple. You have to say what you hear so you can see what you said. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He hears the sound, but he's not going to see it until he says it. He's not going to say it until he says it. God, I don't say it. He said, Well, say it. Yeah, but what? Am-? He says, Say it. See? The lady saw the panhandler who said to her, I'm- Could you give me a sample? She said, Sure. She said, You see that pile of wood over there? He says, No, I don't. She said, I just saw you see it. She said, He said, You may have saw me see it, but you're not going to see me saw it. <laughs> No, the problem is that I feel like in order to say what God has said, I gotta I, I, I gotta do something about it. But see, my problem isn't doing something about it. My problem is saying something about it. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. Yeah, see, like that. It may look like, but but Skepticism, suspended skepticism, it says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. See, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an indignation that you have to have when, when somebody's coming after you. When somebody wants a piece of you, you say, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of this? You come on in here, because I'm not by myself. I don't see anybody with you. Yeah, but that's the problem. You won't see it when it happens. (laughs) It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by... This is how I fight my... See, you're worshiping and you're singing songs and you're making declarations and you're telling God how good he is and you're praising him because these are your weapons of warfare and you rest on that verse. Why are you still praising? Why are you still declaring? Because his word says to me, if I don't stand firm in my faith, I'm not going to stand at all. And actually, I really want to stand. So if my only alternative is to worship him and to praise him, I'm going to do that because this is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. You can join me now. This is how. This is how. This is. All right, hold on a second. Hold on. One of the problems that I had when I first heard this song was that you didn't know when to stop saying this is how I fight my, <laughs> my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. And there was no turn. See, so we only say it several times like this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my This is how. See, that's the turn. And you have to go for it nine times. <laughs> and you can go back and do three more and 12, but always This Is How. Come on, let's try. This is how I fight my battles. This is, thank you sir. This is how I fight my battle. This is how, this is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how, one more time. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but... I'm shocked because white people are clapping off the beat. It's just like an (laughs) amazing thing. This is so cool. I'm just... This is amazing. (laughs) It may look like... Say it. I'm surrounded. But I'm surrounded by... And he's the one who is saying to me, I've got this. I've got this. And I said, yes, God, but see, and I can't say to God, like Lois Lane said to Superman, who's got you. God's got God, and God's got your stuff, and he's got your future, and he's got your promise, and he gives you a prophetic word that says to you, it's not over, it isn't going to be over, and your kids and your enemy may think that they've done you in, but they don't know, you are just coming to the top. Now, here's what you're saying. You got to say what you hear so you can see what you said. You got to say what you hear so you can see See what you said. You got to say what you hear so you can see what you said. You got to say what you hear so you can see what you hear. So Elijah says go look. He says look. He says, I said something, and I need to see it. He says, I don't see anything. Go look again. I still don't see anything. Go look again. And on the seventh time, he comes back, and he says, well, I can't say I didn't see anything, but it didn't look all that significant. What did you see? He said, I saw a cloud the size. See, if you're waiting for some huge thing to come up out of the horizon in order for you to see it and to believe God, you're probably going to miss God. Because he hides in the little stuff. He sorts you out in the little stuff. You can could, you could sit back down for a minute. Just I'm, I still have some more time. Don't you guys go anywhere. It's believing that the thing that God has put in your heart to do becomes critical for you. And it's like, God, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to pretend that I don't feel like it. Because here's the thing I love about God. He desires truth in the inward parts. Joseph, are you afraid? He says, I know when you're afraid, son. Just It's okay. I, I, God tells me. He says, I can handle the truth. He says, you can't confess something to me that I don't already know. And if I ask you a question, I'm not looking for information. <laughs> take a moment, just take a deep breath and now see these words. God, I know you're talking to me but I don't appreciate the other people listening to you." <laughs> My wife and I, on our honeymoon, and we just celebrated 48 years of marriage, and um, <clears throat> that's what I was talking about. And uh, she says it so like this, we've never discussed divorce, but murder on several occasions. <laughs> and, and so. Um, He does that stuff all the time, just can't stop him. But on our, on our honeymoon, we were reading a book by a friend of mine, Bob Mumford, who wrote this little book called 15 Steps Out. And in the book, he, prays, he raises this prayer with God, God, if you're doing anything in the earth, I want to be a part of it. And I said, honey, what do you think? She says, yeah, that's good. I said, you feel him?" Like? She said, yeah. I said let's pray it so she said well go ahead you go ahead and lead us and uh, I then did I led us in that prayer and I said God if you're doing anything on earth we want to be a part of that and I knew I was looking at this this statement and that statement to me was like that statement if you don't stand firm in your faith you won't stand at all it was a prophetic word that came up off of a page in a book written by a man and yet it was God talking to me and I said Yes, God, I'm in on that. I want that. 30 days later, I was kicked out of the denomination that we were part of. And I had no idea that it had anything to do with that prayer. I found out later on it did. And so as I I walked through the seasons that were going on with that, I was so disappointed because I felt like God had enticed me to say something to him so that he could sucker me in. And so I said, yes. And I prayed that prayer. A year later, I am so disenchanted with God. You can't, you can't get mad at him because you know, he's got to do other things for you. And so um, <laughs> I'm just serious. I'm just trying to help you guys because there are some things you just need to keep to yourself and not let God know. But then there are moments in your life when you have to just be really clear with God and just say, God. I'm here to tell you off. Now, if you can't do it yourself, find somebody in the Bible who already did it and use their words. And that's what I did. I went to Jeremiah chapter 15 in the Amplified Bible and listened to Jeremiah, verse 15. Jeremiah said, Oh Lord, you know and understand. Earnestly remember me and visit me and avenge me on my persecutors. Take me not away from your joy, from life itself in your long suffering to my enemies, the ones who kicked me out, Know that for your sake I suffer and bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. Right there in that book. If you're doing anything on earth, I might be a part of that. I found your words, I ate them, and they were to me a joy and rejoicing in my heart. And then he says, I sat not in the assembly of those who make merry, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your powerful hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. And here is Jeremiah telling God how he feels. And I'm listening to Jeremiah and said, man, you too, Jerry, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain? You ever feel that way about God? Honestly, you ever feel like God's let you down? And I was telling him, You've let me down. Now, whenever you tell God anything, he still has a part to say in the conversation. And this is when God speaks. Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return, give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety. You will be my minister, and if you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. That's what I said. Wow. Separate the precious from the vile. Where do you do that? It's in your heart. Cleanse your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. Unworthy, unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. He says, if you do that, you'll be my mouthpiece. And then this is what he said, do not yield to them. Let them return to you, not you to the people. And I said, oh, my God, you know what they've been doing. He said, yes. I got up off the floor. I ran into the kitchen. And I said, Barb, God just spoke to me. Now, it was like God just wiped me with a two by four, but he spoke to me. The psalmist says, let the righteous smite me. It will be like oil. And then God raised this question with me. As I'm looking at this sex and he has had to do it again and again and again I'm 80 years old and I'm still hearing God tell me don't you believe me don't you trust me yet and in this moment what I heard him say were these words Joseph in all of redemptive history have I ever failed anybody and I said no sir He said, well, then why would I break my record on you? What is it about us that gets so involved in our stuff that we feel like, like Sister Dusenberg, who in the testimony service said, y'all pray for me because I'm going through something nobody has ever been through. No, not true. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Whatever you're looking at, whatever seems to be overwhelming to you, whatever looks like it's gone cattywampus, as they say in Alabama, look at it and just say, God's got this. God's got this. What are you going through right now? That you think, man, if I don't take hold of this thing and do something about it, and God is saying, you want it, would you like me to have it? because one of the ways you fight your battles is you surrender. And you say to him, here I am to worship. When David could not get God to change his mind about the death of the baby. For seven days he fasted, laid in the dirt, and then they came to him and said, the baby's dead. Would you stand with me please? I believe it's a hard thing. I know it's a hard thing for someone to lose a child, to lose a baby under any circumstances. And it's hard to come to grips with that. But David is my model, my model. And here's what he said. I'll return, I'll go to him, but he won't come back to me. And when he found out that the baby was dead, here's what the scripture says, David got up, he went and washed, he changed his clothes, and he went and sat in the presence of God and he worshiped. Worship is the antidote to cognitive dissonance. It's the answer to every question that you can't answer. It's it's the response to every believer because worship at its best is always going to be a faith response. And so when the enemy says, I've got you, and you got to say, no, he's got this, and he's got me. And if I don't stand firm in my faith, I won't stand at all. Now, contrary to how it feels, contrary to how it looks, you got to say to somebody, when they say to you, well, how's it going? And you have to say, God's got this. You may not feel like he's got it, but this book says, he got it. Are you getting it? Then tell somebody, see, God's got this. My wife and I have been through probably one of the severest challenging seasons. But you know what? The worship has been rich and the presence of God has been so good for us. And we keep focusing on what he's doing. And that's the perspective you have. So hold your hand like this and imagine. Use that incredible gift that God's given you called imagination and see the thing that you know if God doesn't have it, you won't make it. Maybe it's a physical problem, maybe it's a relational problem, maybe it's. It's an economic problem, but look at it, look at it, and just make this declaration. I see you, but I'm not afraid of you because my God has this. Not only does he have this, but he has me. Now, Father, I just bring before you every petition, every concern every credible thing that we have, what we believe is a right to be afraid of because, just because, it just looks so bad. But we hear you say, be careful, be calm, don't be afraid. I've got this. Say it, be careful. Be calm. Don't be afraid. I've got this. Just remain standing for a moment and just lift your hands to him. What David thought was probably the worst moment in his life. He went into the sanctuary and he worshiped. You're a worshiping church. And you've equipped other people to do the same thing. So just lift your hands, lift your voice, and realize something. The Bible says the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And that's not just in the rapture, that's all the time. And He will also ascend, ascend with the shouts of the saints. Go ahead and lift your voice and worship and shout something to Him.